Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. For more information, please call 234-803-481-0869 or for free audio downloads, kindly visit www.davidogaga.org. Okay, we still want to continue with the question and answer. Uh, the question we have here that we're dealing with is how could Moses speak face to face with God if no man can see God face and live? That's what we're dealing with. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay. Alright. Um, sorry about that. So that's exactly what we're dealing with. Uh, And so, the test actually is Exodus 33. So, let's quickly go there. Exodus 33, verse 11. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, son of Noam, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Then when we get to verse 20, which is what the individual felt was like a contrast, uh, a contradictory statement, verse 20 now said, And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there is, shall no man see me and leave. So these are the points. So the issue now is, is that contradiction in this particular passage? Because the Lord said in verse 20, you can see my face and leave. And verse 11, it says, the Lord spoke face to face with Moses. We tried to explain part of this last week, so I would like us to uh, find time, go back to this series. I mean, the first part and then go through it again for clearer understanding. And uh, we have this concept also where people think or uh, feel that I think Francis made a post out of that kind of summary and then there was this question that came up as well and said uh, Genesis 1 is it? Genesis 1 and verse number 26 and 28, 27 28 we are made in you know, your likeness of God so how can we say God have no form? You know so well it's fine. Um, it, it has to do with the level of understanding as well. But the point is this. Do we sometimes say God is omnipresent? Have we heard that? The omnipresent God? What does it mean to be omnipresent? That means God is everywhere. That's the simple meaning. Omnipresent God means God is everywhere. Omniscient God, omniscient God means God knows everything. So if God is present everywhere, in what form is He present everywhere? That's the question. Are you there with me? And uh, we mentioned that last week. The Lord is our spirit. And so, I don't know. You see, when you put gum in, in a form, we must first understand that God existed before anything came into being. Hallelujah. Amen? Okay. But let me read this particular scripture. Psalm 13, verse 9. 139, verse 7. David was speaking here. Psalm 139, verse 7. The Bible says, Whether shall I go from thy spirit? Or whether shall I free from thy presence? And we must also understand that when we talk about the face of God, we are talking about the presence or the face of God 
or his presence. Is that okay? Alright. Where shall I go for the presence? And verse 8 says, If I ascend up into heaven that are there, if I make my bed in hell, behold, that are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand shall lead me, and the right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely, the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hidden not from thee, but the light shineth as the day, and the darkness are the light, and both alike to thee. Where can I hide from thy presence? Assembly God is everywhere. God is present everywhere. You can hide from Him. It's a simple scripture. And again, what we read in Deuteronomy 4 was so clear. You have been spoken to you. You saw no similitude. You saw nothing. That's what the Bible said. You saw no form, no similitude, no shape. Deuteronomy chapter 4. That's what he said when he was speaking to the children of Israel, Moses. When we even say, well, oh no, I don't know, church. <laughs> you know, God spoke to Moses and said, build me a tabernacle so that I might dwell with the people. Am I right? And Moses built a tabernacle. Was God residing with the people? The answer says yes. Where was God dwelling in the tabernacle, in the temple? In the most holy place. Was there a physical figure in the most holy place sitting down that when you open the curtain, you see somebody sitting on the throne there? But was God there? When God came on the Mount Sinai to give the law, what did they see on the Mount Sinai? The point is this. God can take any shape that He wants to take. But you don't limit God to a shape. Praise the Lord. Are we together? You can't limit God to a shape, but He can take any shape that He wants. If He chooses to become man, He can become man. He takes any shape that He wants. But He can't limit Him to a shape. I think in, in Mark 16, He made a statement. I mean, the Bible made us understand that. And the disciples saw that He appeared to them in another form. In another form. And I want people to know that when you look at that. He appeared to the disciple in another form. That means he can take any form that he wants. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, last week we read how the Bible made us understand that there was never a man that had intimacy. We tried to establish the fact that the face of face of God was just describing to us of the intimacy that God had with Moses, the fellowship that had with Moses, the closeness, the kind of friendly atmosphere that was existing between Moses and God, which no other person had ever experienced, if we may use the word, until the coming of Christ. Nobody had the kind of intimacy among other prophets even though that preceded Moses, nobody had that intimacy that Moses had with God. Amen? And we find that all of those prophecies that was going on, all of the prophets that were speaking, like I was saying, nobody had that relationship, but Moses had something that we can say. Now, if you look at the scripture again, it says, A prophet like unto me shall God raise up unto you. Can you get that? Fine. So now, that will begin to tell us, make us understand why Jesus was revealing God. Did you get that? So it's like saying, the kind of fellowship that I have now with God, somebody else is going to come to have the same fellowship, and that is Jesus Christ. And so, if you want to see truly the face of God, you see the face of God in who? In Jesus. It's not simple. It's relationship. So we find that all these things continue through until the appearing of Christ. I mean, I'm talking about the relationship that Moses had with God. And that is what Moses said. A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you from among your brethren like unto me. 
So, how great was this person when Moses, I mean that Moses was making this comparison with? Uh, Moses desired to see God's glory. This side, he could not be a remember. When the glory came, he could not even be at the glory, as it were. And the Lord said, I'm going to show you my backside. Is that okay? Good. So, we find that it's like he showed him his backside. Uh, which in the true sense, for me, speak of nothing but the Old Testament. The shadow. The backside of a man, more or less, is his shadow. Praise God. Are you with me? The backside of a man is his shadow. So, and the Old Testament is the shadow of the New Testament. Praise the Lord. Amen? Are we together? Good. It was a figure, it was a shadow, it was not a complete thing that God was showing. The true reflection have no shadow. If the Old Testament is a shadow, that speaks of the backside. Because when you face God, you can only find a shadow behind you. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, we know that the book of Colossians tells us that in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. Remember that? Amen? Very good. So we find again that because Christ had God in His fullness, it's only God, I mean not Christ, I can reveal God in His fullness. And so if you really want to see the face of God in a, in a form, let me put it that way, you can only see that in the face of who? Of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen? We do know that what Jesus came to reveal is such a wonderful system of that which is called the gospel of salvation, if you will, which is actually a redemption of the body, the soul, and the life and the energy that was supposed to be in God, permeating everybody. To become exactly who God intended man to be. Restitution, like we said before, is to bring man back to the very position that he was supposed to be. Which can, at the end of the day, describe that. Again, you find that you see man's face, you see God's face, ultimately, at the end of the day. Why is this so? Because you see, Opposite of God is not the devil. Amen. Opposite of God is man. It's not the devil. You see, the world may you to understand that when you look at the word of God, it's like a mirror. And what you see is what you do what? You reflect. So, if you, if you see in Christ, and Christ is in the image of the glory of God, what are you supposed to reflect? The face of God in the first place. You reflect His face. Because that's what you see. Praise the Lord. Amen? Now, if you check through all of the law, the prophet, and the Psalms, they are all describing one person. And that is who? Jesus Christ. You understand that? That's why on the road to Amos, he had to explain to them from the law, the prophet, and the Psalms that all these things are talking about himself. Praise the Lord. And everything actually talks about his suffering, his death, and then the redemption of mankind. Amen. Let me try to make you see something. When we talk about the knowing a man's face or to know his face, like I mentioned before, 
It simply means to be familiar with him or with God as a man with his friends. I mentioned that as praise last one. I'm trying to take my time so that you can put these things together. Moses was an example of a true greatness. When you go back to thinking or studying as many as have followed the Lord or walked with the Lord, Moses was actually a man of true greatness. And it's like saying, the more we imitate him in meekness, humility, faith in God, courage, and perseverance in duty, the more free we have access to God. Going by the life of Moses, because he saw God in the Old Testament face to face. What are some of those qualities that made him to truly see God in that manner? Among the qualities that Moses exhibited were meekness, humility, faith in God, courage, perseverance, in the place of duty. And the more we try to come to this kind of relationship or work with God, the more freer we have access to God. And the greater our likeness to Him, the more useful and blessed will be in our life. Because, like I said, now, you see, the scripture says, there's nothing like an idol. For the idol have no hand, I mean, they have a hand, they can't see, they have, uh, I mean, they have eyes, they can't see, they have a hand, they can't do nothing with them, they have legs, they can't walk. And then I said that those who serve idols are like the idols. Have you, have you? Have you read that before? Okay. So if those who serve idols are like the idols, what about those who serve God? They should be like God. Are you following what I'm talking about? They should be like God. So, Moses was like God, as it were, because he had all of those qualities, and he had a relationship with God, such that he could reveal God to creation. Let me put it that way. Now, Pharaoh personally made a, made a statement that this is, you know, God told him, say, I'm going to make you a God unto who? Unto Pharaoh. Praise the Lord. Are we together? And the glory that he had was so glorious that, remember the story, when he came down from the mountain, the Bible made us understand that the people could not look at his face by reason of the brightness of the glory that was upon him. He was reflecting God. Amen? He was reflecting God. He was reflecting what he has contacted. You find the same glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, on the face of Moses, I mean of Jesus. That was in the Old Testament because, you see, the Old Testament itself has its own glory. And now the glory that was in the Old Testament could be seen on the face of Jesus, which is actually the glory of God. Same glory now, but in a greater dimension, because then that was the Old Testament glory, that the New Testament glory is to be found in a man. And that is Jesus. So you find that just like Moses reflected the Old Testament glory from a mountain. Jesus also had to reflect the glory from a mountain. Praise the Lord. Are we there? So this is exactly what we're talking about. So the richer prospects in life only comes as we begin to assess more of God's presence, more of His face, more of His glory. His face is nothing more than the light, the presence of His glory. Hallelujah. Amen? So again, you look at that Exodus 33 verse 20, and He said, Thou cannot see My face, for there shall no man see Me and live. No man shall see Me and live. So we mean that the glory here will be insufficient 
to man, he only whose mortality is swallowed up of light can see God as he is. And that's part of what we're trying to say last week. When you see God, you are simply confessing that your old man is dead. That is just it. You see God for your old man to die. Amen? To see his face, remember Timothy, Paul was writing to Timothy and he described God as he that is inaccessible, who have the light and immortality dwelling in the light inaccessible. But that's exactly what he described it. So a full discovery of the glory of God will quite overpower the faculties of any mortal man, any natural man. When you discover the full glory, the natural man cannot handle the full glory of God. So it must die. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's look at First John chapter three, verse number. Let's look at one and two. First John three, one and two. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because he knew him not. The world doesn't know God. And so the world can't know you. Because the natural man understandeth not the things of God. Amen? Are you following what I'm saying here? The natural man understandeth not the things of God. Now, your bed itself, your new bed itself, is a strange thing to the natural man. How you become born again is a strange phenomenon that the natural man cannot understand. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us, Peter writing talked about, angels themselves were seeking to know about the salvation as the prophet were speaking about. What I mean is this. Angels are created beings. They have no understanding about redemption. So, and redemption brings you to become a son of God. Why angels are servants? Now, they are wondering how man will end up becoming son while they are servants. Are you following what I'm talking about? And that is through the process of the new birth which we are describing on Sunday. Now, for you to be born again, the natural man can't understand what it means for you to be born again. Even the angels are finding it difficult to comprehend it. Because it's strange for them to understand that man that has fallen in Adam is becoming the son of God again. Are you there with me? So the natural man cannot understand the things of God. Therefore, the Bible says here, they don't know God. And if they don't know the Father, how can they know the Son? If they don't know the Son, how can they know the sons? Are you following what I'm talking about? Because, you see, when Jesus was on earth, what was it that they were saying? Oh, man, the son of David, the carpenter. Is that not true? They only know him from the natural perspective. And that's why scripture says, No, we know man after the flesh. Even though we have known Christ after the flesh. Henceforth, no, we know man after the flesh. No. He was speaking to the household of faith. But for the world, they don't know you. Because they don't know God. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Verse 2. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. 
now. It simply means you see his face. You see him as he is. You see his face. But the question is, when he shall appear, appear from where? And who often be thinking is going to be coming from the sky? But it can be. Hallelujah. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at um, maybe 3, 4. Well, let's read it fast from verse 1 to 4. Colossians 3 from verse 1. If there be a reason with Christ, seek those things which are bold, where Christ seated on the right hand of God. And um, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is where our life shall appear, then shall we appear with Him in glory. Are you there? What is your life? Your life is Christ. So when you say we shall see Him as He is, when He shall appear, appear from where? From within, because that's where your life is. Okay. You know what Paul is trying to describe here? The very same thing that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. There was an appearing of the Christ in the life of the man called Jesus. Do you understand that? Now, so what he's saying here is, when the man called Jesus, I mean, when the Christ in him appeared, there was a transfiguration. So when, when he himself, which is Christ with our life, appears, we now reflect exactly what they saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. Are you following it? Are you following what I'm talking about? Matthew 17 tells us precisely about the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, when they saw his countenance, can we go there? Let's read it so that we can look at it a little bit. Take it from the Amplified Translation. Matthew 17 from verse number 1. Matthew 17 verse number 1. Let's just go there. And six days after this, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. His brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And his appearance underwent change in their presence. And his face shone clear and bright like the sun. And his clothes, I mean, his clothing became as white as light. And behold, he appeared to them, Moses Elijah, talking with him, as a matter of fact, about his death. But the key point there is number four. I mean number three. Verse three. Is that okay? The brightness of his glory. Can we get this from message translation? If you can. Then they realize that Moses... No, no, no. Verse, verse three. Is that verse three? His appearance changed from the inside out. That's what I'm looking for. Right before their eyes, sunlight poured from his face. His clothes were filled with what? Light. Where did it come from? From the inside out. You see, you must understand that Jesus was a face of his ministry. What is Jesus? He shall save his people from their sins. And so, when John saw him, he said, The Lamb of God. That taketh away the sin of the world. That was the body of lamb. That had to be sacrificed. But the Christ was the Son of God that was on his inside. The appearing of the Christ changed his physical body. And so Paul writing in Colossians 3 is saying the same thing. When he shall appear then shall we appear with him, what? In glory. Meaning all of your being will receive what? A transformation. Which is the glory of God. The very face of God, if you want. The brightness of his glory. Let's go down again to, before we come down to John chapter 1 verse 18. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Let's look at 3. Amplified translation again. 
Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse 3. Praise God. He is the sole expression of the glory of God. The light beam, the outrun, or radiance of all, of the divine, describing Christ. And is the perfect imprint and the very image of God's nature, upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe. Now, the apart is the key point we're looking for. He is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outrun or radiance of the divine, and is the perfect imprint and very image of God's glory. So if you are looking for God's glory, where do you find it? You find it in Christ. And this is, this is very image that God was saying, let's make man in our image after our likeness and let it have dominion. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. Now, Turn with me to John chapter 1 verse 18. John chapter 1 verse 18. Sorry, those of you on the computer, I think this background is getting its effect on the, on the world. We can see it. Remove the background. Just let it be plain. John chapter 1 verse 18. Good. Thank you. No man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son, or the only begotten God. <laughs> Glory to God. Who is the bosom, who is in the bosom, in the very intimate presence of the Father. He has declared him, he has revealed him, and brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him, and he has made him known. Now, if you go by this, it's simple to you, you can know God, except He's revealed. Now, there is no way God shall be revealed except through the Son. And so He called Him the only begotten God. Praise the Lord. Are you seeing it? Amen. Meaning, you can see Christ and be the same. You have to die to your old self and be a new creature. Because Christ is the brightness and the glory of who? Of God. Just like we read in Hebrews 1 verse 3. And like you are seeing here. So when you see Christ, you are seeing the glory of God. You are seeing the very face of God. The very face of God. And that is what you are meant to reflect at the end of the day. No man can see God and live. And if you truly see Christ, you become a new creature. That means your old self is dead. Do you follow what I mean? Come on, are you with me? Are we together? I want you to understand it. See, we said that last week, Hebrews, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you can just turn over there again, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 1. We had a powerful scripture we read there last week. And that's very important. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And not ye my work in the Lord. Now the key point is, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Where did you think Paul saw Jesus? On the road to Damascus. Did you see a human being? The answer says no. But what, what, what happened to Paul after that? I mean Saul. He became Paul. So when you see truly see Christ, you can be yourself. Listen to me. If, if you, let me just bring it this way. If you are even full of pride, and you really encounter Jesus, you be the humblest of all men on the face of the earth. Is that okay? You will die to yourself. That pride, that ego, everything that you've been carrying on before, 
will disappear if you truly see Jesus. No man can see Jesus and remain the same. It's practically impossible. Practically impossible. You see, it is said that men that are most powerful are the humblest of people. Hmm? Men that are most powerful, they are the most humblest of people. They don't, because they know they have all the power, so they don't try to get angry. Because they can do damage with the power in them. Praise the Lord. So we find that Jesus is the express image and the glory of God. And we've just read in John 1.18, He reveals the Father. You want to see God's face, you see the face of God in who? In Christ. He is the only one that brought Him out. The begotten God. I like that description from the Amplified Translation. Praise the Lord. Go to Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. You can also take the Amplified. Come to me, all ye who labor. Maybe we take it from verse 27 first. 27 is okay, by the way. All things have been entrusted and delivered to me by my Father. And no one fully knows and accurately understands the Son except the Father. And no one fully knows and accurately understands the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son deliberately wish to make him known. Meaning, you can know God except the Son make the Father known to you. So, how are you going to see the face of God? Only through the Son. It means God is, is sealed up. God is covered up. So for God, I don't know, okay. That may not be a perfect example, but let's just take that. You see, during what they what we call the Christmas festival, you see the young ones want to see for a Christmas. Have you seen stuff like that? Very good. So you see, how would they see the face of Father Christmas? Somebody will have to open the curtain. Is that okay? Father Christmas is there. But the children cannot see Father Christmas until somebody opened the curtain. And that's exactly what I'm saying. God is all around and available. But you can't see Him except the Son opens the door to the Father. And that's exactly what you find in John 1.18 that we just read. Praise the Lord. So, God is not something but... You see, now... Just like what we're saying on Sunday. For you to even see God in the first place, you must be born from above. Meaning you're going to have the likeness and the characteristics of God because you are born into a new world. And if you are born into that world, of course, you can experience God, you can see God, because you are in the same realm with Him. Praise the Lord. But everything, now, you know what Jesus said, I am the door. Did he say so? I am the door, I am the way. To who? To the Father. So if you want to see the Father's face, you go through the door. Which is Christ. Somebody asked me a question last week on John, John chapter 9. You know the story of the blind man that was and they asked the question, who was, who was blind? Is it the mother, the father, or something like that? And Jesus said, none of them, but that God's glory might be made manifest. Remember that? John chapter 9. But you see, when you read down the scripture, actually, the disciples, I mean, the Pharisees finally came and said, are we blind? Because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He that followed me shall not walk in darkness. And the Pharisees finally came and said, are we blind also? He said, you said you see, therefore you are blind. But if you are blind, you will see. What do you mean by that? 
What do you mean if you are blind? Do you see? Does blind people see? If you are blind to your religion, then you will see spiritual things. Are you following what I'm saying now? Good. You are blind and then you think you see. But if you were blind, you think you are seeing, therefore you are blind. But if you are blind, you will see. If you are blind to your religious activities, you will see God. Hmm? And that is why, you see, when you go down, when you, was, when you start, you know, sometimes when we read, we don't really follow sequentially. We forgot sometimes that uh, the Bible was not actually divided into, into chapters and verses. That those things were done for easy comprehension or referencing. It's one book. It's a scroll. You roll it over and over. Now, therefore, if you're reading chapter 9, you're supposed to flow from chapter 9 to chapter 10. So let me show you something now. Chapter 10. Let's move on. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, very quickly. Verse 1. You can take from verse 1. Go to King James. Make it quicker for us. Very, very, I say unto you, he that entered not. Okay, let's go back to chapter, uh, chapter 9. Take the three last verses. Let me see. It will connect us properly. The three last verses of chapter 9. John chapter 9. Last three verses. And Jesus said, For judgment I came unto the world, that they could see not my see, and that they could see my be made blind. And some of the Pharisees quickly were with him, how these words, and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Very verily I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Who do you think he's talking to? Huh? The Pharisees. So, read the story down again. Because there's something I want to show you. Okay, verse 2. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the porter openeth, and the sheep hear the voice, and is called his name, sheep by name, and leaded them out. And when he put them forth his own sheep, he went before them, and the sheep followed him, for they knew they know his voice. And then a stranger, and a stranger will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Jesus' parables, Jesus' parables spake Jesus. I mean, this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Remember he's speaking to which people? The Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Verse 8. Or verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I will explain that a little bit. I am the door of the sheep. Go to verse 8. No problem. Let's just move on. Verse 8. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Don't forget that verse, verse 8 we just read. I want you to keep that. Go back to verse 8, then we'll go to verse 10. Let me show you what I have to see there. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. Go to verse 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that he may have life, and to have him more what? Abundantly. Who is the thief? Who is the thief? Huh? It's the Pharisees. They preached it to me, the devil. He wasn't talking about the devil. Verse 8 says, all that came before me. He didn't say, the devil that came before me. Look at verse 8 again. Go back to verse 8. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. Oh, he didn't say the sheep did not hear him. The sheep did not hear them. Did not hear the religious people. Did you get that? So who is the thief in verse 10? 
the scribes and the Pharisees. Nothing to do with the devil. So any religion, what you see, look at what he said. I am the door. You know what he's trying to say? Now go back to verse 1 again. You get the definition again from there. Verse 1, John 10. Look at what he said. Very well, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and what? And a robber. What he's saying is, when you are ministering to the saints without going through Christ, you are a thief and a robber. That's what he's saying. He's talking to preachers, not the devil. Those who stand and take the place of Christ. It's like part of what we shared on before, unveiling Christ through your ministry. Not covering Christ. Are you there with me? You are a minister and you are trying to stand in place of Christ. You are a thief. You are entering the sheepfold. The sheepfold means the congregation. Now, here is the door to the sheepfold. Are you following that? So when he said the thief come to steal to kill and to destroy and call that he may have life, he's not referring to the devil, he's talking about religious people. In context, we're actually dealing with the Pharisees. Who you know when he came to the world, the Pharisees allowed congregation. He had very little people. Is that okay? Right. So he was saying, All these people you are ministering to without accepting me or passing through me makes you a thief. Praise God. Now, I'm trying to make you see this, that He is the door. That's the main thing. To the Father. In relation to Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Is that okay? If He doesn't open the Father to you, you can see Him. You can know who the Father is. It is it's so plain. No man can know the Father except to whom the Son will reveal Him. Hallelujah. Okay, go to First John chapter 5. Let's see how we begin to round up for tonight. 5 verse 19. First John chapter 5 verse 19. First John 5 verse 19. And we know that we are of God. Now I want you to know that word. Of God. When you see the word of God, it means we belong to God. It means we are born of God. He thinks we have the God kind of people. Amen? Hey, are you there with me? We are of God. Don't forget what I tried to share with you on Sunday. You know, about kingdom of God. Kingdom that belongs to God, or God's kingdom. Is that okay? You should understand that. So you have animal kingdom, plant kingdom, vegetable kingdom, fish kingdom. Is that okay? And then God's kingdom. So we're talking about a species of people. Now, here he says, we are of God. It means we are of the God kind of people. Is that alright? Okay. And the whole world lies in wickedness. That in this verse, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God is come. <laughs> and has given us an understanding. That we may know Him. That is true. And we are in Him. That is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. And eternal life. Can we take this from the Amplified Translation? This is the true God. So, you want to see the face of God? You want to see the face of the true God? Who is the true God? The Son of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. And we have seen and know positively that the Son of God has actually come to this world and has given us understanding and insight progressively. And I like that. To perceive, recognize, and come to know better and more clearly Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This man... Is the true God and life eternal. This man is the true God. And so you want to see the face of God. 
Where do you have to see the face of God? Now we are talking about seeing the face of the true God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I look at verse 21. I like something there. Verse 21. Little children, keep yourself from idols, false gods, from anything and everything that will occupy the place in your heart due to God. From any sort of substitute for Him that will take first place in your life. Amen. So let it be. Hallelujah. Save yourself from idols. What's an idol? When you start picturing God to be like a human being like you, that's an idol. This is the true God. Go back to verse 20. And let's look at, let's look at that from message translation. Are you getting anything from this? You see, the definition, this man, the Messiah, is what? The true God. And so sometimes people begin to talk, God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy God. There can never be any three gods. There is one God revealing Himself in three personalities. Amen? And we know that the Son of God came so we could recognize. Now get the reason. So we could. So the reason why He came is that we could recognize and understand the truth of God. What a gift. And we are living in the truth itself. In God's Son, Jesus Christ. This Jesus is both the true God and the real life. Glory to God. Can you get it? So, you want to see the face of God. Where, do you, where else can you find His face? In Christ. He is the true God and the real life. That you may know Him whom we have sent. John 17 verse 1 and 2 also tells us the same thing. Amen? So let's end up with John chapter 1, I mean 17, 1 and 2. This is the true God and eternal life. Amen? Praise the living God. Are we together? Hmm? He said. No, give me just King James there. Let's see. Praise the Lord. For John 17 verse 1. Not just 1, 17. John 17 verse 1. This will expect Jesus and lift up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that the son also may glorify thee. And he said, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Verse 3. And this is, that's the definition, life eternal, or eternal life. Huh? That they might do what? Know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou have sent knowledge. How do you get internal life? Through knowledge. That they might know him. Praise the Lord. Knowing the Son is knowing and having eternal life. So you don't die to go to eternal life. No, no, no. That's wrong. Eternal life is a person. And that is the true God. That's what we read here in John 17, verse 3. And you find that again in First John chapter 5, verse 20. Eternal life is the real man, Jesus Christ, who is the true God. Praise the Lord. Are we still there? Amen. Oh my God. Final scripture, John 1.14. And we are done for today. John 1.14. And the world was made flesh and dwelt among us. Right? And we behold His glory, the glory of only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and what? And truth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I just want that scripture. And so, when you look at 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12, For we now see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now and knowing part, then shall I know even as I am known. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 12. But now we see through a glass, darkly. But then, what? Face to face. So there is a place for face to face seeing. 
Okay. Take it from the Amplified. Amplified. But now we are looking into a mirror that gives only a dim blood reflection of reality as in a riddle or enigma. But then, when perfection comes, we shall see him or see in reality and face to face. Now, I know in part imperfectly, but then I shall know and understand fully and clearly, even in the same manner as I have been fully and clearly known and understood by God Himself. There's a place for perfect understanding of the revelation of God that Christ brings to us and that makes us to see Him what? Face to face. So, when you, when you have not come to see face to face, it means you do not have a complete understanding yet of who God is. Meaning, face to face seeing is a perfect understanding of who God is. Is it clear there? Come on, are we together? Praise the Lord. Say, so now we see darkly, that means we don't understand God. Remember, Mighty 7.27, except the Son reveals the Son to you, you can't know. So, when you haven't known, in other words, you read the Scriptures, yeah, this is God. God is revealed through the Scriptures, but it's still an imperfect realm of revelation. But a time comes when you will truly understand who God is. Then you have seen Him, what? Face to face. But at that realm... You are no longer you. Amen? You are no longer you. You are a different being. Then you see God face to face. If you go through the scripture, everything you see about all of this is knowing God, knowing God, knowing God. And we read that last week also on Sunday. Hebrew chapter, I mean, Hosea chapter 6. Remember that? Knowing God. It's knowledge. To see God face to face is how much of God you've come to know. That's what it means to see Him face to face. It's not as if you're going to see one figure sitting down. You know, can you imagine those images? I mean, other religious sects, they all have it. You see one man sitting at the center. I was speaking to somebody. Well, I have to call somebody on the phone. Because sometimes I don't like talking on Facebook and arguing and all of that. I called a guy on the phone in Lagos who made a comment on your, on your post. And then I asked him, how, how can you picture God when you say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost? That's what you mean to say is God is at the center. Jesus is at the right hand of God and the Holy Ghost at the left hand. Is the Holy Ghost a person? Because you are picturing Jesus as a person, picturing God as a person. So you are going to picture the Holy Ghost as what? As a person. And that fools you. Because the Bible made us understand. That same Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Is the same man. So you don't have three gods. You have one God revealing himself in three dispensations. And don't forget, Father is not a person, it's a title. Son is not a person, it's a title. Holy Ghost is not a person, in that quote, it's a title. Are you following what I'm talking about? It didn't say about that in the name of, the name of God Yahweh, the name of whatever, the name of the Father, the Source. Name of the Son, the Son from the source of the Holy Ghost, the power, the new dispensation of the Son. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is the God revealing Himself in a form. Is that okay? It's one person, not three people. So when you begin to have images of God sitting at the center, Jesus at the right hand, the Holy Ghost maybe at the left hand. Or maybe I don't know who is at the left hand. Maybe the devil is at the left hand side. I don't know. Whatever that means. That's what it says in First John chapter 5 verse 20. Little children, separate yourself from what? Idols. That is an idol. When you begin to picture God like you. Having eyes like you. Having nose like you. And maybe walking in the garden of Eden or wondering... You know, I don't understand how people read the Bible. That's why we think you're going to heaven, you're going to be walking some evenings, you just go and be strolling with God, take you to the swimming pool, and then maybe take you to Sizzlers somewhere, you know, in heaven. <laughs> you're going to buy some popcorn, 
Praise God. You'll be strolling around and sometimes you miss the way God will call you. Hey, David, come back this way. That side is not good. Idol. That is typical idol worship. Idol worship is not something you put there. It's what is in your mind. The picture you're painting about who God is. God is spirit. God is everywhere. God can take any shape and any form He wants. You can describe God. Hallelujah. You can describe God. It's indescribable. It's something you can't imagine. You don't imagine Him. But one thing you've got to know is He's with you, wherever you are. Praise God. So even in your bedroom, God is there. And of course, we do tell our children, maybe we want to threaten them. And say, hey, you see, don't do any bad thing. Even in the bedroom, even in the kitchen, when you're stealing, God is in you. Do we say that to our children? Uh-huh. But when we come to church, God is in heaven. But when you don't want to